Tonight, we go into part two. And uh, this will be a very interesting part two, The Whisper of Satan, part two. Last week was a record breaker. We opened the book into some very deep, mysterious things hidden for, for generations of time. Let me begin. We have several things to cover before we just, just delve into this word. In the book of St. John, chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believed not on me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, we have two different entities here. One is the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and the other is this spirit of truth and it is personified also he will guide you but the thing that is in this context that makes us to understand there's something additionally different from it from the holy spirit and that is where it says whatsoever he shall hear or do we go up before that for he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So we see something here different than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, is uh, self-imbued with the knowledge of instantly speaking the will of God. But this particular entity called the Spirit of Truth uh, does not speak of himself, and uh, whatever he hears, that's what he speaks. One of the gifts that he will have would be to show you things to come. Now, I like to call this uh, spirit of truth a collective body of Christ ministry. And uh, if we look at... Um, the book of Isaiah, and we look at Isaiah 26, verse 19. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body, shall they arise. Awaken seeing, you that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. 
Come, my people, enter into my, thy chambers. Shut the doors about thee. Hide thyself as it were for a moment until the indignation be overpassed. These are utterly incredible deep word revelations. But there is this revelation of the transimbument, of the transassimulation, of people seeking the Lord and taking on uh, His life blood living. Uh, not to be a, a replica of exactly His personality, but to uh, you know, trans-assimilate that uh, beautiful spirit of love uh, that Jesus has. And for that to come into us and to be totally transimulated in that, in a oneness of spirit with Christ. And I believe that the spirit of truth is, is a collective. Now, I know that over the years there have been individuals that have initiated various uh, faiths and, and, and uh, groups and teachings who have claimed to be this spirit of truth. I'm not here today to say that they are not. I'm not here to say that, that they are. Uh, let them be what they claim that they are. I think the spirit of truth is a wide, worldwide uh, collective of God's people who are in the body of Christ's ministry. And um, and some of these people may be in a ministry that has not yet come into the recognition of the Christ name and may have a different name. But eventually, uh, they will come into that understanding. So we will follow that along those lines. Now, when Jesus sent his disciples off, he, um, he sent them to go forth to do two things to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. So this thing about casting out demons was no minor mode. It uh, was a major thing, and it was uh, an immediate recognition of Jesus saying, Beware, there are evil spirits. They are everywhere. They are demons, and they are affecting people, and they are possessing people, and uh, I'm empowering you to go and to cast out these demons. And we know that the disciples were successful at that most of the times. There was a recorded instance or so in which uh, they were not able to cast out the demons because they were not uh, prayed up and perhaps fasted up enough. But uh, the point I'm making is how extreme that the subject is of these demonic spirits, how that they are all over the earth world, how that they are involved into every aspect of lives of people. And uh, it is not just some simple mediocre thought. It's, it's a real thing. Now, when we begin to contemplate about the spiritual uh, realm of God uh, it, it, it is a magnitude of magnitudes um, we know that um, in Exodus 14, 14 
God speaking to Moses said, The Lord shall fight for you. Deuteronomy 9.3, The Lord goes before you as a consuming fire. Exodus 23.20.23, The angel is to go before Israel and Moses. <clears throat> Exodus 34.24, I will cast out the nations before you. Exodus 33.2, An angel to drive out a list of nations. Israel to be unaffected by the plague of the Egyptians. So, we begin to see that, um, you know, there are angels involved. There are demons involved. There is a world full of other beings. Some of them just spirit beings. Some of them have taken physical bodies, like most of the angels have taken physical bodies. And uh, and they do intervene uh, for the people of God. Well, in this day of uh, scientific advance <clears throat> and uh, opening of the mind realities, uh, we have come to see how that the difference that could be made sometimes is not because there is a causeway of some monument, monumental effect or effect, but sometimes it is sufficient to have a difference of even one atom. One atom can, can cause there to be an opposite of how you think about a certain thing. One atom can cause the difference between a person being depressed and a person being sensationalized with hope. One atom can change your lattice. One atom can make the difference of your body receiving self-healing. One atom can be a big thing. And, and we've come to understand, you know, there are many different real realities. And that some persons belong to the same time and space. And these people that belong to the same time and space uh, are sometimes atomically entangled. And that atomically entangled uh, situation involves uh, the literal things that have to do with places on earth, the cities where people live, the governments under which they live, the faith that they come to believe. Uh, this uh, is not an accident. It is many times a destiny. And so, we see then how that Lucifer, when he made his choices, having uh, been brought up in the perfection of the cherubimic order, and he was a cherub, a cherubim, then being moved over of his own free will uh, to act uh, as a, a host uh, in instead for uh, Yaviel over the angels while the 
a, a group, Yaviel and a group of angels were spiriting creation. Uh, Lucifer began to change. He he was not a, an Ophanim, and, and the the difference of the Ophanim uh, style of government, the difference of the Ophanim style of thinking, uh, you know, was at least one atom of difference. And that one atom of difference affected, affected Lucifer. Finally, Lucifer, becoming Satan, chose to sit in the seat of God and eventually call it the seat of Satan. So, it is absolutely amazing. And we, we are not here to point out every iota or atom of difference, but just to say, sometimes a very small increment can ultimately bring about a big change. Now, we want to do a real fast review. Uh, we talked about last week on the, the, the first edition of the Whisper of Satan, the first teaching on it, about how that there is a balance of good and evil. And that if, the, if a door is opened by the good, then that opens an equal opportunity for the door to be opened by the evil. And uh, then <clears throat> we gave examples of um, how involved that the, the angels of God are uh, to us human beings here on the earth. In Second Kings 6, 11 through 17, we uh, talked about Elisha and the army of God uh, that, that came down and uh, presented themselves in protection of Elisha. Uh, before the Assyrians. Then we got into, you know, the continuum of Isaiah 14:12, where I, where Lucifer falls, and also in Revelations 12. And we moved into things like hell coming up to meet Lucifer, Satan dressed in the body of the cosmocrator as a world ruler. And then we talked about David's mighty men and how the, there was a transfer of angel spirit power to them and the incredible things they could do and how that in the ultimate of time, Satan was going to take the advantage of that open door to do the same thing with some of the, the spirits uh, that were in hell that he claimed. And we just reminded people of our many teachings about Mount Zion, S-I-O-N, that it is Hermon, that Mount Zion is Hermon, uh, as written in Deuteronomy 4:48, and that Zion, spelled with a, a, a Z or Z, whether you're in Canada or U.S., um, uh, in in Jerusalem is a proxy. Zion, Z-I-O-N in Jerusalem is a proxy for Zion, S-I-O-N, which is Mount Hermon. And we talked about that. We got a little bit into the wormholes, uh, like um, talking about the star worm, worm wood. 
and talked about Gog being loosened from the the Alpha Age densities, and uh, we didn't exactly make it real clear how that the wormhole uh, uh, modulates uh, into densities by taking on entanglement of another uh, sought uh, same property and how that by using this entanglement which is a law that says that if two atoms are the same it doesn't matter where they are in space if they're from at one end of the universe to the other whatsoever happens to one will happen to another well, by going into the space continuum of the Alpha Ages, similar to going into the energy dots of the past universes, uh, we were able, you know, uh, say we, but I don't mean we, but the forces of darkness were able to obtain, uh, you know, a, a copy of the lattice and um, DNA of Gog, and then to create an exact uh, same um, um, atomic wormwood entity, so that by the law of entanglement, it was allowed to go into the density of Alpha to be connected to Gog. In the process of that connected, there was there was modulated a wormhole through which Gog was then able to be led to escape and then be brought to the eighth universe, this present universe that uh, we are in. Okay. Now that's sort of an opening. Before I really get into the teachings completely, I want to um, answer uh, one of the hanging questions. Uh, I had said that uh, each uh, broadcast now we would try to answer one or two questions that people have asked that we haven't got to yet. And uh, <clears throat> the one that I want to uh, choose to answer is very interesting, I think. Uh, and the question is, is Christ really coming as a thief in the night to rapture us? Is Christ really coming as a thief in the night to rapture us? So I want to get into the, uh, the scriptures on this, and I want to show people that there has been a very sad misinterpretation of the Bible and misunderstanding of the Bible, and that misunderstanding of the Bible uh, has really led to a tremendous amount of confusion. Um, this, there is what is called the Day of the Lord. And the Day of the Lord does involve the coming of the Lord, but not in the sense of coming as a rapture thing. Uh, I do not mean that there is not some <clears throat> provision there uh, for uh, dealing with the deliverance of the people. But it is not the same thing as what most of the churches in the modern age are referring to as a rapture, uh, a, a carrying away uh, like like Enoch 
was uh, taken with God. One one day he was not, and that that was like a rapture. And so the day of the Lord is a time that has been prophesied, a time that has been Holy Ghost set aside for the uh, defeat of Satan and for the changing of the ownership of this earth world and the surrounding solar system from being in the in the power and the ownership of Satan <clears throat> to being in the power and in the ownership of Jesus Christ. And that's the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, though, includes the the great war, the, the final war of the angels. So that's what we're going to have to look at, this great war. So, as we uh, get into this, let's first start by uh, going to Second Peter, and we will look at um, at Second uh, Peter three nine through thirteen. Second Peter three nine through thirteen. Now, this is going to be you know very eye opening, <clears throat> but let's just see what it does say. The, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now, there's some people got this idea <coughs> that that's the time that, um, you know, they're going to get raptured. Um, not a very pleasant time to get raptured. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And while the angels have gathered all of you together in the rapture up in the in the in the heaven above, and uh, you're all into the clouds of heaven, which are the 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 uh, spacecraft of the angels, the ziths. Uh, what an interesting time to just all be there, getting ready to accelerate out when the heavens suddenly be, pass away with a great noise and all the elements melt and burn up because of the great heat. People really need to get these things straight. <clears throat> they really do. And um, when it talks about uh, the fervent heat that's going to melt the elements, you know, Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about something of a cataclysmic disaster, a devastation of devastations. We, we are talking about something that is like the flood. 
you know. And, and of course, if you read the rest of this uh, writ here in, in John, he, he does compare it to the, um, to the flood, like in verse 5 and, uh, and verse 6. In um, verse 12, he says, Looking for and hastening, hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved. So if you're going to be, meet in the meeting of the air, you would sure want to get out of there before the heavens were dissolved and the elements were melted with fervent heat. And, of course, in verse 13, it says, Yeah, according to his promise, there's going to be new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And a lot of people think that, uh, you know, that that has to be this earth, you know, that has been purified. But it doesn't at all have to be this earth. The, the Bible says this earth is going to get old and crinkled and going to end up folded up like a cloth and just die from old age. That's what the Bible says. But earth is a word that stands for like a a planet, a, uh, you know. And uh, God, the Father's house is a planet. And it's, it's going to be new to the people. <coughs> but whether it be that or whether it be the remaking of this earth, <coughs> excuse me, we'll just accept it accordingly. That's what we'll just do. So we just thank God for understanding this revelation that uh, when the Lord raptures the people, he's not going to be rapturing them up into the heavens at the same time that the heavens are dissolving and, and, and uh, exploding with great noise and burning with fervent fire. That's not, what, that's not going to happen. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's just a misunderstanding of people not understanding what the day of the Lord means. Not understanding... Now let's look at um, Revelations 16, 16:15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, what is this the setting of this coming as a thief? Well, look at verse 4. It's talking about the, the, the frogs and the dragon. They are spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. It's, it's about the day of the Lord, the, the, the war between the forces dark and, and the forces of light. Verse 16, this is right after the verse, coming as a thief in the night, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. So, the message is clear. This day of the Lord, coming as a thief in the night, is about this time of incredible destruction upon the earth. 
And this isn't tomorrow. That's this is not this year. It's not next year, because there are things that, according in the Bible, have to be fulfilled. Now look at uh, Revelations um, chapter uh, three, verse seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth and shutteth, and no man openeth. Now verse 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If Therefore thou shalt not watch. I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So what do we have here? We have an option. To those people that turn against God, that do not overcome, that do not follow the word of God, but that end up taking the mark of the beast... He said, I will come as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee, not for thee, but upon thee for judgment. And so, that's just the plain word of God. Now look at Luke 12.39. Luke 12.39. Let's, uh, let's just see what we're looking at there. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken into. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. What is this about? This is about war. This is about a person's rights being broken into. This is about the forces dark invading. And if you don't get taken and you're here, you're not going to have advanced information to know when some of these things are going to happen because it's not going to be trusted with any human. Because they don't want that information to get to the forces dark. Only the Father is going to know that information. Not even the angels, the Bible says. So, what is my answer to, is Christ really coming as a thief in the night to, the, to rapture us? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The sheep will know his voice. And, uh, you know, there's going to be time interludes and all kinds of things as people have time to trim their lamps and are told to go out to meet him. There's going to be a time interlude. And uh, I think when you begin to understand this and see this, you will have a different a different look at things. Now, 
there's some interesting scriptures when we start getting in this world about the dead and the live. <clears throat> in Hebrews 11:35, it talks about you know things that people did in, in faith and how that women received their dead raised to life again, but others waited for a better resurrection. It was like there were those who just wanted to have their child that was dead or their husband that was dead. They just wanted them raised to life again. And and that was their first concern. But there were others who had a deep understanding that some of these particular events that happened were divine. And they knew that there was a better good and that there was a better resurrection. Now, we see there being, being revealed here the differences of the quality of resurrections. Just because someone is resurrected and brought back to life doesn't mean it's the highest resurrection. Because the Bible says others waited for a better resurrection. So we begin to understand that that's a subject well worth getting into, especially considering when Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Now there are strange things that Jesus in his ministry said that were very offensive to people. Like the one that offended most of the followers at the time, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. But he said something that was pretty tough for for people to take. Matthew eight twenty one through twenty two. This person said, "I want to follow you, Lord. Just suffer me enough time to bury my father." And Jesus turned to the person and said, "Let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead bury the dead." Well, you know, we we might look at this and say, "Well, that's just absolutely awful. This is." This was the father of the son. He wanted to be there to, in respect to bury him. You know, that, that just seems so rude, so awful. But, you know, this was an example. And what it was about is the distinction of the difference that there is between the dead uh, and the resurrections, the difference of the resurrections. And God was making, you know, a a real point that there is the dead who belong to the dead and there are the dead who belong to God and they are not the same there's distinctive difference we know that um, there was different cities that were destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah who Jesus said, one day those cities are going to stand in judgment of you, and they're going to judge you because you didn't listen to the to the things of God. And we find that in Matthew 10.15 and Matthew 11.22. And then there's an example of it in Ezekiel 16.49, 16.49, in which... 
the prophet Ezekiel gives this exhortation about what were the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah and that their sins, though they were bad, were not half as bad as the sins of some of the tribes of Israel. And so we see that there are different levels of of judgment, different levels of uh, decision that are made about people. In Matthew twenty three fourteen fifteen, it talks about a greater damnation. Matthew twenty three four uh, fifteen, a greater damnation. Now we're beginning to see that there's a differences of the levels of the resurrection. There's a differences of the quality of the dead. There are differences in the levels of judgment. And there are differences in the levels of damnation. And it's important to be able to to see these these differences because they open the mind up in a most uh, broadened way in which people are able to to come in, in into a totally whole new adventure of 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 reality. Now, I want to uh, get into some interesting things, and I'm going to start off with talking about the three woes, W-O-E-S. They're sort of like contra to the three holies, holy, 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 like holy, 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 almost meaning hallelujah, 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 and the three woes meaning whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, so turn with me to Revelations uh, chapter 8 verse 13 and let's just uh, this is going to be very interesting Revelations 8.13 says and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Okay. So then we have the first woe. And this first woe is in chapter 9 verses 1 through 12 and the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit now this is really 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 important that you get this this star that falls from heaven is given the key to the bottomless pit he's got control of it and when you look at verse 11, and it's talking about the people in the bottomless pit, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, 
whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there comes two woes hereafter. Now let's go back to verse 2. And this star, this, this Abaddon, which I want to explain to you that Abaddon is also the cosmocrator. And uh, we're going to get into this thing about the cosmocrator in a more extensive way. I touched on him last week, but it's very, very important. I received the, re- the revelation about the cosmocrator many, 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 many years ago. And I have shared that with a few people. Uh, in fact, uh, given books to uh, some individuals that uh, are fairly well known. And um, they, they uh, have, uh, uh, without asking me, but nevertheless, they got involved in trying to do some teaching about the Cosmocrator. And it's good for the word to get out, but they didn't have all the facts straight. Uh, so there's a few people out there that have gotten into it, and I never heard it used before. But the Cosmic Crater is a very interesting subject, and we're going we're gonna to give you some uh, Bible as to where that comes from. But here we've got one of the woes, and involved in this uh, is this, this Abaddon. Now, Abaddon was one of the the cherub angels that were co-owned with Lucifer and lived in the same body and same space and used the same mind and was also equivalent to a, a um, archangel. And I explained uh, before in the past how that in the angelic kingdom when angels develop by merit and by various things uh, and advancing, and some of them over eons and eternities of time become equal to being a archangel. Well, there, there can only be uh, the Lord of Hosts and a co-archangel. And after that, the rest of those who earn to be a, a co uh, archangel or to be an archangel can either uh, fusion into the the spirit body of the chief Lord of Hosts archangel or the co archangel, and um, that is uh, how they move forward and become archangels uh, in action by sharing the same co-owning of a body using the same space. And verse 2, And he opened the bottomless pit. This, this angel that, that fell, this uh, Abaddon, and there arose smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And we explained that this was the manufacturing that was going on in space for the making of the uh, of the mantis creatures 
And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given the power of the scorpions of the earth and power. I've, I've already preached on this. And it's command that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither anything green, neither any tree, only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, think about this proposition. They have, Abaddon's given the key to the bottomless pit. He's already begun these creations along with Lucifer, Satan. And then he's told, you can't hurt any of the people of God. You can only hurt the people who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. So, then you've got the people thinking that Abaddon and Lucifer Satan is so stupid that they just immediately want to go out there and just destroy all of these uh, anti-God people who are all prospects to work for his plan and theme and, and rule. So the only thing that these mantis are going to do is to begin to uh, interject into these people that are anti-God people that do not have the seal of God in their forehead bind serum uh, to totally turn them toward uh, believing and worshipping uh, Lu Lucifer Satan as the dragon, uh, the star dragon uh, king and, and recognizing it. Obviously that is successful because in verse 11 it says and they have they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit. So they've obviously then, as a resultant of this, except through this process, Abaddon, who is one of the angels of Satan, co-owned with him, therefore he is equal to Satan and a part of Satan. It's a little bit complicated, but you know things in the ultimate divine uh, oracle of the of the world word are a little bit that way. So, it's very, very important to, uh, you know, to understand the power of that. Okay. And to them, uh, uh, you know, it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented, or that they should be driven in the mind into these new ways of thinking. And the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses, and it goes on with that. And they had breastplates, and we've told this story about that. And, uh, and they had the king over them. And that is the first woe. The first woe is what these forces, dark, do with the people in the bottomless pit that they are put in charge of and to, and the people that's on earth 
that they are given the right to go out and make a claim on and those that they cannot make a claim on who have the seal of God in their, their forehead. That's woe one. <clears throat> so this is no minor thing, ladies and gentlemen, when we start talking about the whisper of Satan and, and this plan of going forth and, 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 and taking these people and putting them under uh, his kingship and into his army, this is a big subject in the Bible. It's not just some crazy spin of someone trying to come up with a notion of something interesting. It is an absolutely revelatory, incredibly fantastic, super energized revelation that Satan does not want out. Now, let's look at uh, the scripture says one woe is is past and two more woes come. Let's, let's see what these next two woes are. The second woe is um, actually explained in Revelation 11, 7. In Revelation 11, 7, it says, and it's talking about the, the two witnesses. The two witnesses have been prophesying and, and uh, they have been doing uh, you know, uh, a work for a thousand two hundred and three score days, clothed in sackcloth, and they are the two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before God, spoken of in Zechariah. And um, uh, they've got power to uh, shut the heavens that it rain not in their prophecy, and and to power to over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with plagues, as often as they will. Uh, now let's look at this then. The second woe, Revelations 11, 7. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, shall overcome them, and kill them. This is the second woe. The beast has the power to operate in the pit and also to come out of the pit. Come out of the of space. And he comes against these two witnesses, which a manifest teaches that they are more than just two entities. They represent a ministry. And their dead bodies are left to lie in the street. And when the people and the kindreds and the tongues shall see their dead bodies uh, three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts one to one another because they're dead, because they've been, ca- because they've been conquered by the beast. But verse 11, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered them, 
And they stood upon their feet, and a great fear fell upon those which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, verse 13. And a tenth of the city fell, and, earthquake, and, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. That's the second woe. And behold, the third woe comes quickly. Now the third woe is Revelations 11, 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, thou shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. But what the real story is there is that at this juncture, When one door is open, another door is opened. And this is the time of the dead. It's not the white throne judgment yet, but it's a special time of the dead. And there are those that are judged, and then they are delivered up into God because we're at this point beginning to come to the end of the time of the thousand years of the of the Abrahamic bosom, which is also called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And when this time is up, then it's the time to collect those people that belong to the Abraham bosom. But there's also these other people that then are the dead that are raised up through this resurrection or re-infusion, whatever you want to call it. And that is the third woe, the time of the dead. So we have these three woes, but really in every single case, they're about dealing with people that are in the pit. They're about dealing with the dead. From woe one through woe three. this is a time that also goes along with when in the Bible it talks about Lucifer going into hell and that these kings and people of hell rose to meet him. Well, we're going to get into some interesting things here. We are going to get into some interesting things. 
And it is so important that you hear these things out, that you listen to them, that you, that you get it down so that you can begin to understand this. You can understand it in such a way that it has reality to you. So I want to now skip over to Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, and we're going to talk about, and I'm going to break this down. I went a little bit through this uh, last week, but I want to now really, I want to go slow. I want to, I want to, you to really understand this, okay? And we're looking at um, at some very interesting things. It talks about, uh, we're, look, we're going to look at as, uh, verse 16. And it starts off in 14. Son of man, prophesy and say unto God, thus saith the Lord, the day when my people of Israel dwell safely, thou shalt not know it. Thou shalt come up from the place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding horses, a great company. Our horses stand for horsepower. This is a big write-up about Gog. Verse 19 says at the bottom of the verse, In that day there will be a great shaking in the land. Now, when we look at chapter 39, verse 1, Therefore thou son of man prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Let's look at this in the MIV. Gog, are you not the one of anterior beginnings that I spoke to my messengers, servants, friends, seer prophets, saying, in latter times, you will come against God's defenders, Israel? Now that is the interpretation of part of it. Now let's look at verse 39.2. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And let's read the, the MIV. Prophesy, you seers of God, and say, The Lord God is against you, O Gog, chief principality. For Meshach, the spirit, soulless people. Now the term Meshach, which came up in the first verse, 
Meshach actually means four. And Tubal is actually connected to Tubal Cain. And this represents the soulless people. The Tubal Cain people are the soulless people. So what it's really saying with the Meshach meaning four and Tubal being actually being Tubal Cain, repping this the the spirit soulless people, it is saying, I am against you, O Gog, chief principality. Uh, I am against you, chief principality, uh, for the uh, spirit soulless people, because you are for the spirit soulless people, Tubal Cain. And, uh, and you can look that up in the dictionary to verify these things. Uh, you know, like uh, the, the Tubal Cain, uh, look in uh, the Greek concordance of 8422 and 8423. And I, God, will turn, I, God, turned you back, O Gog. See, I, God, turned you back, O Gog, and left only the sixth punctuated point part of you. Now, this is a Bible explanation of Gog in the age of Alpha, in which he was left there as a punctuated part. And that's why the term that it uses for the word part comes up. And um, why that it is so important for people to understand when it says, I will cause thee to come up from the north parts. I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part. This thing of parts, very, very important to encapsulate in the understanding of this deep, deep revelation. And I left only the sixth part. I turned thee back and and left only the sixth part. Now, we use a different tense. Instead of futuristic, we use it past tense, which a lot of the Bibles, new Bibles when they came out, one of the first things they did uh, from the uh, King James is uh, change the tense uh, to past tense instead of future tense. So it's not anything new for that to, to be done. In many of the Bibles, it was done that way. The new Bibles. I left only the sixth the sixth punctuated point part of you, but I will allow Satan to bring you back into creation and to revive you from the mystery of the unknown. Now, the mystery of the unknown is found when it says the north parts. And if you look up 68, 28, in the Hebrew, the word north means unknown mystery. And if you look up its root, 6845, the Hebrew root, it means to hide, to be hidden, secret place. So, what the Bible is really saying is that this north thing was a secret hidden place. And 
He's going to be brought back from this secret hidden place. And he says, I will cause thee to come up. So, I will allow Satan to bring you back into creation because this is what Satan is doing and there's lots of Bible for that. And you shall take you shall take a, a body form and come against Zion, S-I-O-N, not Hermon, in the land of Israel who are its defenders. Now, when people say, wow, that kind of stuff's not in the Bible. That's not in the, the book. They're wrong. It is in the book. And that's why we say that the Bible cannot be understood except by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Ghost. And there are seer ministries. And God has given this gift of seership to be able to, to understand as I have been explaining to you quite frequently uh, about the Revelation, uh, book of Revelation uh, to John, in which uh, John was told that when he wrote this book of Revelation uh, in chapter 1, verse 19, write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. It is about that which was, that which is, and that which is to come. And then it, it, it was about the seven stars that are angels of the seven churches, which actually mean means universes, because the word for church there just means group, and this is of each group that overcame in each universe, which thou sawest. And he used to write about this. So when the when he begins to write, who is he writing to? The pastor of the church? Well, there's some people try to interpret it that way. The bishop of the church? Well, there's some people try to interpret it that way. But that is not what the Bible said. It very strangely, unusually said, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, and unto the angel of these other churches, and on and on and on, each time to an angel. So it was really referring to an angel which connected to this revelation of the past, which was the revelation of the seven stars, and the seven golden candlesticks, and the seven stars, which are the angels of the seven corporate bodies or groups. And if you don't see this in the, the great Alpha and in the Omega, and you just try to see it in the narrow bands of present and future, then the whole puzzle is not going to come together. The whole revelation of the Bible is not going to be manifold. We've got the story of Gog here. Someone says, well, I always wondered why it just all of a sudden shows up in, in one of the last chapters of, of Revelation, and all of a sudden there's, there's this multitude which Nobody can even even number. And let me read it to you. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go forth to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. 
Gog and Magog, they're around to the end. They're major. They're mentioned in other places. Ezekiel had it right on. He's the same one that had the revelation of the wheel in the middle of the wheel, of the Ophan, the Ophanim as a wheel. And and the the flying spacecraft, the, the chariots of fire. He had this revelation of Gog. And he wrote extensively about it, making it clear that everyone understood that God was against Gog and that Gog was going to come against his people. And this doesn't happen till almost the end of the, of the uh, last, till the, close to the last chapter of Revelations. And we're beginning to see how that there was a star in Revelations 9, 1 through 12 that came down and was given the key to the bottomless pit and became the king over all of the people of the bottomless pit. That's just Bible, ladies and gentlemen. This thing about Gog and Magog is just Bible. Revelations 9, the second woe, the beast arises out of the bottomless pit, makes war against the against these two men of God who represent a ministry. Wow. And woe 3, they get involved in the time of the dead. All right. Now, who is this cosmocrater? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I read this to you many times. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world. Now that word rulers, when you look it up, is cosmocrater. In the Greek, 2888. In the concordance dictionary. It's right here in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. And when you read that in the Greek, it talks about this world cosmic ruler. He's a world cosmic ruler. And he has, Abaddon has taken this human body and it's a laminated body. Co-owned or laminated with the, the co-owned, uh, some of the co-owned cherubs of Satan. 
And this all ties into Ezekiel 28. What is Ezekiel 28? Well, let's read it. Verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyrus. Now, the king of Tyrus, that means the king of the rock. That's what Tyre and Tyrus stand for, the rock. And the Bible teaches, and I've read it to you in the past, there are two rocks. There's the good rock, the rock of ages, and there's the king rock, which is represents the dark forces. And then it begins explaining who this king of Tyrus really is. You see, it's not any regular human. The king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Now we're talking about covering here. And when we get into this covering, we've got all these different names called stones. And I've done a teaching on this. I can't just repeat every part. But these coverings, stones, are, are, are representing the, the various status, status uh, orders of Satan as he is doing this particular thing that we have been describing. And his coverings are the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the merle, the onks, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tablets, and the primes that were prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub, now it tells who he is, that covereth, and I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Wow. Verse 13, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Ever precious stone was thy covering. And it prophesies in this same thing, verse 9. You know, it says, uh, You say, I am God, but thou shalt be a man, and no God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. This is when he becomes the cosmocrator. Now, this is a really incredulous wisdom, if you want to call it that type of thing, that Lucifer comes up with, Lucifer Satan. He does not want to really take a body of flesh. But because he is co-owned with these other archangels, he is entangled with them. So if they take the body of flesh, in the sense that he is entangled with them, then he has credit for also having taken it, even though he is, uh, they have separated out of the fold, like Jesus separated out of the Father. And, to, and took a super uh, individual uh, entity body. And so you begin to see that Satan is given credit for, for doing this because it is Satan in the entanglement, atomic entanglement. But in another sense, it's still just like the Father gives him a chance to be separated and only received the credit of having done it 
because a part of him did do it, which were these co-owned ones represented as all the various kinds of, of, of stone jewelries. Wow. So this covering then is interpreting the word of the cosmocrator who is laminated with all these different um, cherub angels co-owned uh, giving him a reinforcement and a special power to deal with it. So uh, when um, uh, you know um, that he comes uh, in Isaiah and uh, and it says how, how art thou fallen O Lucifer and, and that part of it happens uh, the explanation you know when they, it says hell you know rises to meet you and we're going to look at that right now in the 14th chapter of Isaiah Verse 9, chapter 14. Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. This is no small event. Just like when Jesus went down into purgatory and preached to the spirits which were sometimes disobedient of what it speaks about in, in the book of Peter. Now, Satan uses that open door to be able to do the same thing that Jesus did, and he goes down as the as Abaddon, the com the the cosmocrator, and hell from beneath is they they rise up, they move to meet him, and his coming, and they and all the dead are stirred up, and the chief ones are raised up from their thrones all the kings of the of the nations that are there. And they shall speak and say, Art thou become weak as us? Art thou likened to us? And what they're referring to is, Oh, wait a minute. You've got a body. And this is the cosmocrator. You, you're not going to be strong having that body. You're, that's, you're going to be just like us. Well, of course, the cosmic writer shows and proves that he is so far superior to any of them. And they begin to see that uh, that, that his pomp, though brought down to the grave, and the worm is spread over him, is actually, he inverts that and uses this worm theory called Star Worm to do this incredible thing of retrieving Gog and Magog by Star Wormwood. Wow. And of course there's further prophecies about what's going to happen to him. But as you can see, even after he's done all these wars, he goes, is put away in the bottomless pit where he has still all this, this opportunity for a thousand years 
and then he's set free. Because they are treating him with dignity and respect for his being for eternities of time an archangel and are careful not to make a final judgment on him until he has gone through the white throne judgment of the seven spirits of God. Wow. Now let's go to chapter 29 where we left off last week. Woe. Start off with a woe to Ariel. To Ariel, the city where David dwelt. From year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Yet I will distress Ariel. Now, we've showed that this Ariel is connected to to the uh, to the Mount of Hermon, and I will camp against thee round about and lay siege against thee with a mount. Now, in the Holy Manifest, it depicts on Mount Hermon these three peaks, and how that there is this uh, on the each side of that metal peak, there is the forces of light, and on the other side is the forces of darkness. And there's quite a story that's told there in the Holy Manifest about that. And here is the secret. This is the secret that uh, Lucifer has kept. And in the book of Thessalonians it's called the mystery of iniquity. Verse 4. Thou shalt be brought down and shall speak out of the ground. Now, when the angels of God that were with Yahweh left the heavens and left Lucifer in charge of the Ophanim, and they went into creation, and I've given you, I've given you scriptures where they were involved in uh, the uh, spiriting the creation. This, in effect, is what Lucifer was doing all by himself. He was spiriting creation. When the angels spirit creation, they send their spirit into the earth and into nature to bring forth out of nature and the earth a latolution of creation. And this is what Lucifer is doing. He is sending his spirit and he is speaking by that spirit into the ground and his speech is low and out of the dust and thy voice shall be as one with a familiar spirit. Well, the other interpretation of the familiar spirit is ventriloquist. Able to move that voice from his own person to other persons, sort of like the thing where in the, we read last week, where everything from honor and to strength was transferred from Moses to other persons. The first group being 70 elders that were uh, chief people 
under his uh, ministry. And he speaks into this dust as one that has a familiar spirit, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. And there's the title for the whisper of Satan. <clears throat> now what happens after he whispers into the dust? Well, suddenly, we've got the moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like small dust. And the multitude of the terrible ones shall be a shaft that passes away, yea, it shall be at an instant, suddenly. And this is where this incredible creation that Satan does when he spirits into the, into the world of the dead. And he brings forth these creations of super supermen that described that we read to you last week in, in Joel that can leap upon the walls and leap on the mountains that can do super feats of levitation just just like the story of the Superman. And I reread you the story of of these supermen that thirty three of them that, that David had that did things that no human should be able to do. They were supermen. Now, if you don't want to believe the Bible, if you want to just make it a a story, a mythology, well, that's between you and God. God have mercy on you. But if you go to the movie and you like to listen to Star Wars type of things and and the Star Trek and Superman and some of these incredible things that you've found entertainment in it, well, just remember, as I am speaking to you, that the Bible has more entertainment in it of these incredible things that are further out than any of those scientific uh, uh, feigned adventures that have been put on film. They don't even begin to touch the real story that the Bible is telling. And one day we hope to have put into movie productions. Wow, what an exciting, incredible time. And this creates a war. Verse 8, And it shall be as when a hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, and he awakes, and his soul is empty. A thirsty man dreams, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that, that fight against Mount Zion. The angels are going to use special phototransitions on these people, these powerful supermen. And they're going to believe that they have accomplished doing the things that they've set out to, 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 to do. But it's only going to be a phototransition like a dream and they will understand afterwards that what they thought they had accomplished, they had not accomplished. Wow. Is that exciting or not? Yes, it's exciting. 
Now, there is so much. So let me just keep going here so I can try to get this whole thing in. Before I run out of time, i got some reading from the MIV I want to do, too. That's really interesting. Revelation 16.3, it talks about the sea, the rivers, the fountains of waters turned to blood. And I'm going to read 16.3 from the MIV. And the second angel poured out Un's vial upon the people who had the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast, people, are the water, the sea, the rivers, the people. And the blood of life was... <coughs> Uh, and, and, the, and the blood of life was heart-hardened by the uh, blessing of the angel who blessed the good hopeful but was a curse unto those people that were not belonging to the good people. and caused their blood to become as of a spiritually dead person. And there were no redeemed of those who had taken the mark of the beast who were in the area of the pouring out of the vial. Wow. I hope you're sort of getting this stuff. Revelations 11.18 MIV And for very long it had been the spirit of anger that controlled the nations of the world. But then at that time the throne judgment will be set to judge the dead and the living. And it will be those who have overcome the world that shall be rewarded as well as recognition and joy and raised to be seer prophets and all other saints who reverence God, always acknowledging the justice of God. But the other dead shall be claimed by Lucifer Satan. So it was, 1118, the anger and wrath of the nations was revealed, for the time of the thousand generations of Abraham's bosom was finished, and it was so that whosoever succeeded, succeeded. Whosoever failed, failed. And to those who succeeded, and to those who ministered life, there was the gift of eternal life given them. But for those who gave themselves to destruction, destruction took them. Six nine. And the white horse rider passed over the sealed energy dot of the fifth universe. Then the white horse rider paused because he saw that the work of the forces dark and their horses and riders and what they had done using angel rules to kill the body of life of many saints of God whose spirits lingered from having their mortal bodies uh, because their mortal bodies were slain by the riders of the forces dark. And, and in the King James it reads, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And that's the meaning of that. Wow. So we begin to see 
the incredibility of all these things. Verse 612, chapter 612. And I saw the white horse rider pass over the seal of the sixth energy dot and open its mysteries like a multitude of skies to be read. No one understand in the days of the application of the revelation of the sixth seal of the very uh, mortals of the terrestrial shall tremble with quickenings. And the traditions and theologies of, world, of the world religions represented as the sun shall be blotted out in deep remorse and repentance. And religions, religions, churches, temples, and places of worship shall reveal their mortalness, which is the blood life of the humans. Wow. Now, an interesting scripture in Hebrews 11.4. Abel, being dead, yet speaks. In Genesis 4, 9, and 10, after Cain slew Abel, the word, the spirit of the word, the Mimrah, came to him and said, What is it you've done? And I could just imagine Cain sort of saying, What do you mean? He says, Well, why did you kill your brother? Well, how could you know that? He says, Because his blood is crying out to me from the ground. His blood cries out to me from the ground. When we talk about the people that lived in a universe and they overcame, but there is left this energy dot and how that in these energy dots are not only left the stories of the, the people and the overcoming, but it's also left for every entity that ever lived there a kind of DNA sampling of each one of those entities. We can see how in this DNA of the blood that was spelt on the ground the body no doubt removed and maybe buried but the body the blood had a DNA story to it. And it says in Genesis 4, 9, 10, His blood cried to me from the ground. So that this DNA can still speak even after the body is dead. And that's the story of the energy dot. And a scripture, just one of them, to give you an idea of his backing. It, the Bible is so powerfully flow, full of information. Uh, we are told in, uh, in the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to turn there real fast, Hebrews uh, chapter 6, because this really is truly one of the most powerful scriptures, I, th I think, in the Bible. Uh, not the most powerful but it for sure is one of the powerful. Uh, so let me read it. Uh, chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance 
from dead works and of faith toward God. If you are a minister or a pastor or you are an individual going to the church and that church for years and years and years has just been relaying the same foundation, good subjects, true subjects, principal doctrines, but just laying the same thing about repentance, the same thing about faith. Well, Paul says you, if you want to go on to the principles of the doctrines of Christ that lead you into perfection, then you have to leave those other principles so that you can have a displacement and go on and add these other truths. And including in the list of those things that you've got to move on from, verse 2, the doctrine of baptisms. Water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, laying on of the hands. So when we're preaching spirit-to-spirit healing instead of the laying on the hands ministry, we have moved on in the power and the spirit toward perfection. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. And the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. There are such incredible, beautiful, additional things about the resurrection as I was showing you in these various scriptures about the different levels and about the judgment. There's all these different levels of of judgment which includes everything from rewards to, to damnations. There's different levels. And I gave you scriptures for that. And this we will do if God permit. We're not casting these things out of our teaching. We're not throwing them away. We're just understanding that we can't just go over and over and over those without having room to move on to perfection. I really want you to have that that down. That is so important. So important. Now, if you turn with me to Revelations 14... There's a perplexing scripture here, and it has to be understood. If it's not understood, it just looks, it sounds gruesome. It sounds like uh, the days of the Romans when they had these uh, huge coliseums where they enjoyed watching people being tortured and killed. Revelations uh, 14. In Revelations 14, verse 9 through 11, it says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his, and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and the image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of the beast. So, Let's look at this, 14.9 in the um, MIV. And another group of 
of Shinons, which this is the in the 68th chapter of Artisans, is the term used for the word angel. The only time it was ever used in the Bible, even though there's many, many mentions of angel, and it refers to the Artisans. Uh, another group of Shinons followed with emphatic signs, which were messages warning the people of earth to not worship the beast or take on his image, nor to allow themselves to be mentally subjected to genetic changes in the brain, nor in regards to their physical rights and freedom allow any changes. And this is the MIV elementary level. And the third angel declared, this is a prophecy of warning, let no one become enticed to worship the beast in his image, nor to receive the mark of the beast, which is to accept that mortal life alone, uh, is the way to seek eternal life, and is a construction as such in the physical realm. When this threat comes, it will deal with each person's mind, mark in the forehead, and refer to each person's right, the hand. So the trembling cup is in your hand. You have displaced yourself by your choice of hollow spaces that suspend the presence of God. You have moved across the line of divide to across the line of divide to extreme junctions where pertur uh, perturbation is king. You have done all these things even in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb of Peace. This trembling cup, the cup of indignation is a drink of brimstone plasma. This cup holds the drink that all who trade truth for mortal desire must partake of. Now we see how it really is that these things were being done by choice before the angels of God and before the Lamb. 14.10 And they who have drunk of this wine and have been shown the violation of their will, but yet willingly after seeing the signs and hearing the word of God and uh, the word of the saints and the angels, still will not heed freedom. To them will the wrath of their own decisions and works against the elements of nature come down on them in that day. These things that happen to these people will be a result of their own self bringing it on. This is spoken about, this is not spoken about some end of the universe, hell, but about the hellish self-wrath returning on them even in the presence of saint and saints and angels. And the Prince of Peace, who is the last, who to the last instance, uh, uh, you know, of these persons, were trying to save them. So it will be the fire torment to their nerves who refused this help and the sanity of their consciousness being overwhelmed with grief. So what the real story is, is that to the last moment, these angels and, and saints and the Prince of Peace were there praying for them. And we, we will see how that um, even in when some of these people are in purgatory or in hell that there are saints of God and according to the 15th chapter of the book of, uh, of uh, Corinthians that uh, are involved in praying for the dead. 
and trying to deliver them. 14.11 And ride the smoke of bewitchment, kiss the mark, love the image, if you would choose the second death. Trade worshipping the one and only God for a fraud who is not God but who is a devil and has always been a liar from the beginning of the foundations of this world. For though the, for, uh, though the smoke rises upward at first, it will fall sooner or later as dust to the ground. Repent before it is too late. All right. Let's um, move on here. We're we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, so we shared how that Abel being dead yet speaks from the ground. And we've shared Hebrews and Revelations 14. And uh, then there is this interesting scripture in Revelations 18 that says, Babylon is fallen and has become the habitation of devils. Now we see that there was a great war that happened. And uh, it was even considered by some of the generals of Lucifer to be a vast mistake. So we read in the MIV 1716, And then Lucifer, Satan, shall make a major military blunder. Un, he, shall give unto Un's generals of the ten-horn king force of the beast to assassinate the queen of Babylon because of their great hate for her. And they shall disgrace her city, her power, stripping her and her governors before a worldwide internet screen. And the poisoned cup of wine and the plot for assassination was made ready. Then moved the strike force of the horns against the queen of Babylon and her governance and royal guard. The whole metropolis of the great city of Babylon was under attack. But these actions against the queen of Babylon were not without resistance. Some of the greatest interspace pilots and war, war engineers were followers of the queen. And within a short time, royal guards were ready to respond against the forces of horns. However, the war was about the city and in the city and in the harbors. And there was a call warning from the Zith ministry for souls to abandon the city and escape judgment. When the war was finished, there was massive dying on both sides. But the, but the city was in smoke and fire. The end of Babylon had come. The war did not involve the White Horse Ministry. However, the angel Michael photo-translated a stumbling stone of violence into the city of the multitudes of, ba of Babylon. Then arose a great division of the people and a great sorrow because of the destruction of the queen and the city of Babylon, which was not expected by the forces dark. And there's a whole story about this that is revealed in the New Peace Bible, Book of Revelations. That's just one little inset that is so incredibly uh, fantastic. But when Satan took over the city of Babylon, it fulfills the scripture in Revelations 18, Babylon is, Babylon is fallen 
and become the habitation of devils. He filled this city with his devils and with these people that he had raised up uh, uh, in hell through Wormwood, the Gog and the Magogs, and uh, with all his forces. Now, on the opposite side of that, in 1 Peter 4, 6, let's just read that real fast. I'm, I'm running out of time. I'm going to have to close here in just a little bit, but we're almost there. So hang and hold for just a little bit. And we're looking at uh, Peter 4, 6, and I want to read that because you need to hear this. This is on the other side, the opposite side. And this is uh, so very, very neat. Okay. First Peter 4, 6. Here's what it says. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. Now when it talks about the baptism of the dead, that's real. That's real. And you need to understand that in in the book of John, it says that if you make a petition, whatever that petition is, except if it be blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, that God will grant it if you touch Him in your prayer, He will grant it for your loved ones. And, and even if they're dead, God will reach into purgatory and will grant your prayers. That's what the Bible promises. And here we see verse 6, For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Wow. Absolutely wow. Hang and hold here. We're just about going to bring this to a close. Jude 12 talks about being twice dead. And we know there's there are two, two being deads. There's the first death and the second death. And then there's, in Revelations 20, 1 through 6, and the rest of the dead live not until after a certain period of time. And then there's Second Thessalonians 2.1 as to the coming of the Lord and the mystery of iniquity in verse 7. And these are the things that we'll have to continue with uh, in um, The Whisper of Satan, part 3, that will continue next week and some other incredibly deep and interesting things. So, while Jan is playing the organ, I want to pray again for the starving people in the world. The 11 million people, little babies, families, mothers, fathers, feeble little people. Oh God, our precious Lord Jesus, 
we know that your name as God is also called love. Therefore, precious love who is life and God and light, reach out to the starving people of this world. We pray for your mercy. This is our petition. Why should we have to go into hell to revive them and resurrect them? While they are still alive, O oh God, stir up the nations. Stir up people that can reach out in prayer that these people can be saved alive. And allow there to be a knowledge in these people that it was by your grace. By your grace, O oh Lord, and by your love that they were saved from death and starvation. Blessed be your holy, most wonderful name. We love you so much, our precious and beautiful Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you, people. May the Lord keep you, cause His face to shine on you. Dig in there. Get into this Word. Powerful things are happening. We'll share it with you in the near future. God bless you. Amen.